Hey family, welcome back to Love and Grit. And wow, anyone else's shoulders feeling heavier than usual? While the country is going through what is hopefully a huge cycle of change, please allow us to lift some of the heaviness off as we dive into the remarkable Philly stories. By the way, my name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. It's been a long week since we've last talked. Definitely. I don't know about the rest of you, but personally, I felt anxious. I felt sad. I felt tired. I felt it's just a lot of things going on. And we want change. And also to remember that we want, of course, equality. We want, I want the pandemic to be over. You know, it's, it's a lot. So I There's a lot. It's very complex. But we're here for you. You know what I'm saying? We're going to take off some of that weight. That's what Love and Grit is for. Whenever you can get a break, get it. And joining us, we have a really great show, of course, for you guys. We have the mother of Black Music Month, media personality and strategist Deanna Williams. Also, you know him from the hit show The Four. You know his voice from your favorite reality show, Queer Eye. But you don't know his Philly story. The beautiful Vincent will join us today as well. Yes, this is your Black Music Month Pride special edition of Love and Grit. So let's get into it. She's been a media personality for over 40 years. She is the person celebrities call when their mouths get them in trouble. She is the inspiration behind some of your favorite Sound of Philadelphia songs. And she is the reason Black Music Month is recognized worldwide. She's probably also the reason why my dad met my mom. She is. Deanna Williams. And I am your godmother. That's right. <laughs> yeah, your daddy came to visit me. Yep. We went to Georgetown to a jewelry store that I frequented, and your mother was in that same store. But I will tell you that I just happened to be an eyewitness to history <laughs> because they locked eyes, and you are the result. A marriage and a baby oh. and a long-time friendship. I should also add, she is the reason that I entered into the radio business, the music industry, period. She is my godmother, Deanna Williams. And the mother of Black music. The mother. The mother. Thank you, Rachel. And you know, I want to thank Visit Philly, because last year you hosted a 40th anniversary, very intimate dinner to celebrate and recognize that two of the co-founders, Kenny Gamble, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a multiple Grammy Award winner, and broadcaster Ed Wright, we established June Black Music Month along with members of the Black Music Association. So thank you for that recognition, Rachel. I will forever, I was, in fact, I saw photographs the other day from that dinner. Ooh, can we go back there? Can we go back there? Can you tell us more about Black Music Month? Certainly, Justin. June Black Music Month was established June 7th, 1979 at the White House with President Jimmy Carter. He and his wife, Rosalind, hosted a reception for over 300 music industry professionals on the lawn of the White House. And that day, there was a performance by Chuck Berry, Billy Eckstein, Sarah Powell, Evelyn Champagne King, and you, you can Crouch. tell how happy you are talking about that day because I can see yeah. you remembering Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's a great flashback. And Dexter Wanzell and the MFSB also performed the music for all of those artists. President Carter got up, made a speech, declared June Black Music Month. And it was a historic moment, Justin, because there had never been any such gathering of Black folks at the White House like that particular day. And celebrating not just the feel-good music that Black music is, that has also informed many other genres of music, but it is also an economic entity to the tune of billions of dollars. Last year, the music industry earned 
over $20 billion. And the number one genre in the world currently is hip hop music. So imagine the contributions that black folks are making economically and culturally as we export our music around the planet is substantial. Let's do history because as we know today, we are reteaching history to a lot of people who don't know our history is their history. And explain that not only that, but Chuck Berry, that's rock and roll music. Well, one of the architects of rock and roll music, uh, along with Little Richard, Bo Diddley, there's a group of founding mothers and fathers. We've got to put Sister Rosetta Thorpe in there because even though her roots were gospel and she was known primarily as a gospel artist, she played the guitar and introduced electric guitar in a manner that nobody had ever done with strong elements of rock. But what is rock? Rock is derived from the blues and gospel music. It's like a merger of those two sped up. And of course, created by black folks. So we inspire and inform other genres of music. I was reading a story the other day about Adele and she was citing how much she loved black music growing up in England, listening Mm -hmm. to Aretha and, and you can hear it, Gladys, you can hear it. But I love when white artists give props, recognition, acknowledgement of the wellspring and the source. But what I wanna see is black people be compensated to the same level that white artists are. When we talk about racial injustice, it permeates every strata of our lives. And it is no stranger to the music industry. Even though right now, Justin, Rachel, Laia, if you look at the top 10, 100 songs on the Billboard charts, eight of those positions are occupied by Black artists. So Black artists are popular artists. And the data is there. They're bringing the money in. Why shouldn't they be paid the same rate? Exactly. But they're bringing the money in for the record companies, for the AEGs and the Live Nations. They are not getting the lion's share. Other people are profiting from their talents. I'm not saying that they're not being compensated at all, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying they're not being compensated to the level of white artists. And that's due to racism. It's pure and simple, and it's unfortunate. So we have to fight against it. Everything that you're saying, it speaks to diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's the part that people a lot of times leave out. And music connects communities. There is no language barrier. Music is the soundtrack of our lives. So that is the one major way that we are able to unite cultures if it's done appropriately. I agree. And I love the way you said that. So eloquent. And, you know, for Philadelphia, because, again, our focus um, and love and grit is on Philly. We were the first music capital, Philadelphia. We were the first capital of the United States. And tons of Black folks were brought here, just like they were brought to Virginia and elsewhere throughout the colonies. But uh, here we had a very strong tradition of some of the top Black musicians right here in Philadelphia. And we have continued our position as a music mecca in all genres of music. Think about it. Strong in gospel, strong in jazz, R&B, hip hop, pop, name it. We originate here. We have a wellspring of talented, brilliant songwriter, producers, artists. I mean, you know, out of Cameo Parkway, which was white owned, Gamble and Huff. Kenny Gamble tells me that he used to stand in front of 309 South Broad Street, which was where Philly International was located Mm -hmm. before it was torn down. And 
just try to get information about what was going on in the building and how could he get in the building mm. and how did you make money in the music industry? And a gentleman who, um, his name was Joe Medlin, who worked with Cameo Parkway, he did promotions, Gamble stopped him, he was a black man, and he told Gamble, he said, publishing, publishing mm. is where you will make your money. And Gamble set his heart and mind to becoming that songwriter guy. And here we are many years later, songs that Gamble Hoff, Tom Bell wrote, back in the 70s and the 60s, they're still being compensated for those songs as they should because they wrote, like you said, Rachel, music that is the soundtrack to our lives. But Philadelphia, just like Motown did with Detroit, Philadelphia International, Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff, and Tom Bell, and their writers and producers and the artists on their rosters put Philly on the map in a bigger way. They put us on the love train. Yeah, that was forward thinking. That was being in the right circles, asking the right questions. And that's how you build generational wealth. That's how you're exactly. able to keep that moving and in our history. Right? That's how he was able to do what he's done for South Philadelphia and form a whole school system. Housing as well, like Housing, yes. Um, housing and school, yeah. I would encourage people to visit universalcompanies.org. Kenny Gamble used the wealth that he derived from the community, communities, to reinvest and developed homes, created jobs, and has a multitude of charter schools under universal companies, actually. So there's a perfect example if more mm -hmm. artists, particularly Black artists is what I'm motivating, and artists in general, went back into their communities yes. and reinvested. Jill Scott, we've got to give her a shout out as well. She's on Broad Street with the Blues Bay Blues Foundation. Yeah. She bought a building in North Philadelphia, wow. right across the street from the Uptown Theater. Mm -hmm. And she has her Jill Scott Blues Babe summer camps. It's a great thing that an artist of her stature is reinvesting like Kenny Gamble has done in South Philly, which is where he grew up. In fact, he lives on 15th and Christian Street. It's no secret. Mm -hmm. That's the very, he lived right around the corner from where he currently lives with his wife, Fatima. As a child, Jill Scott grew up, was born and raised, and of the very community that she is still reinvesting in. So I say kudos and applaud Jill Scott. Mm -hmm. and people complain about gentrification, but if more of us bought properties, like I live in North Philadelphia, and I've been here for over a dozen years, and I recall my white friends and some of my black friends were like, aren't you scared? And I was like, the time, moment, I become afraid of my own my people. people. I should not be here. I grew up in Black neighborhoods. And I will continue. And I've lived in white communities that are principally, I own a home in Penn Valley right now. And I lived amongst white people. I lived in a community that when my sons were walking home from school with their white friends, they got stopped multiple times by white police officers asking them, why were they there? And my children were like, we live here. And they knew that they knew. lived there. I lived around the corner from Teddy Pendergrass. They right. knew our children. They knew Teddy. They knew me. They knew Gamble. They knew us. Yeah. But still, my children, I'm talking about little kids, mm -hmm. got stopped by the police questioning them about where they were going and why they were where they were. What should a good response from a white person be? Well, I think white people right now need to examine and scrutinize their own positions and relationships with Black people and how they feel about Black people. This is where I'm saying it's important that we're having these conversations. But white people need to examine what have they said when they're just around their white friends about Black people. 
what do you know about black people? What, what do, do you, you know, know about, about black the history? Exactly. Black or the fact that you get to, ask, when I say you, I'm saying in general, the fact that that question, that you get, have the privilege to ask that question. But I'm glad we're at this point because it's long overdue and America's got to deal with its systemic racism. We just have to. Mm -hmm. If we don't, more of this is going to go on and it's going to be pretty ugly. There, there is a obvious revolution going on yes. right now on our streets. Yes, I'm excited. To be honest, I'm excited. Me too. Me yeah. too. That's major. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's major. I want to ask you a make-believe question, a fantasy question. <laughs> oh, yes. I like that. It's I so like fun. Fantasy. I usually say a pretend question. <laughs> let's go. Let's fast forward and let's say that that moment at, on President Carter's in his White House, I would love to fast forward that to 2020 and who you actually see at a situation like this as we commemorate Black Music Month. I would love to know who would you think would be on that guest list for Ooh. this 2020 commemoration of Black Music Month as we go into the 41st year of it. Yeah, we're in the 41st year and my fantasy would be, I would love to see Kendrick Lamar. I would mm. love to see Q-Tip. I'd like to mix it up. I'd like this current generation with D'Angelo, my favorite. <laughs> uh, for a ton of reasons. Uh, We're not mad at you. We're not mad. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. I'm not, not mad either. I'm trying to think, who else? Give me I a mean, lady. Give me some ladies. Oh, you know, we could put Jill up there. She's got yeah. a powerful voice. Jill's yeah. got a very strong voice. But, you know, there are new artists like Bree Steves, who is from Philadelphia. You know, I want to talk about yeah. some of the Philly artists right Please. now. Uh, Bree Steves is signed to Atlantic Records. She's coming out very soon, and she's going to come hard and strong. So I would love to see Bree. Representation of this generation and some of the, what they call old school. Oh, PJ Morton. I'm a huge PJ Morton fan. I would just throw the roots up in there because they're the only one of their kind. Phony People as well. There's a group Oh, I love Phony People. I'm, yeah. They're young, brothers out of Brooklyn. Mm. And Leandria Johnson, who is one of my gospel artists, who's also amazing. One of your clients. We didn't even get in, into talking one of my about clients. media coaching and strategy. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Wait a minute. Let's talk about that. Um, through my company, Influence Entertainment, based in Philly, we do artist development and media coaching. We do a little bit of crisis. I don't like crisis as much because it is draining. But we've needed but it lately. I know, <laughs> I know, that's true. But, but we focus on human development where high profile people, athletes, executives, artists can present better to the public in their message. What are their messages, their primetime messages and tailoring their message to their audience. And I share with them how to best articulate that to their audiences. That's so important because it is how everyone judges people. And no matter what, you know, has gone on this week, people still have their first impressions and make some sort of judgment based on that. So to be prepared when you're going into the public to do that, it's such an important thing because you could work so hard and one little snafu or gaffe could totally throw a career off. Yes, cancel culture, right? Cancel culture. Yeah, yeah, with social media. I mean, people come right at you now. Isn't it interesting the timing? You know, here we have June, which is major celebrations typically. Pride Month as well. Pride, Black Music Month, Juneteenth, where I think about certain things that don't get to take place for actual, you know, physical events. Like last year you had Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. Wait, can we explain you, to the audience too who wouldn't know what Juneteenth is? 
the short of it is Juneteenth was the last day. All Blacks, when the Day of Freedom came, it wasn't like all Blacks were free across the country and we're all free. It took years for states to recognize that Blacks were free. And Texas, a town in Texas, was the last one. And so we recognized Juneteenth as the last day that the last Blacks in the country actually got their freedom. Every year for 4th of July, I have to remind people. So that means that that 1776 number means nothing to black people when you talk about freedom. It almost took another 100 years for black people to be free. So which is why when 4th of July pops up, I'm just going to cook out, but I know I wasn't free. Yeah. Frederick Douglass, do you know what to the enslaved people yeah. the 4th of July? My favorite speech. What I was going to say, though, to that point is that a lot of times you have these events to help build awareness. So there was the Juneteenth parade and, you know, that has gone on for several years, but last year was the last time it took place. That event isn't taking place, but that doesn't mean that people shouldn't still be learning, celebrating, acknowledging. You still have places like the African American Museum in Philadelphia. You still have music, you have art that you can really embrace and learn. The Color Girls Museum. There's so many things that I didn't even know about we didn't even know about. And I think that's why it's like, we want to listen and learn. And know and recognize Philadelphia's rich history on so many levels. Not just, okay, I now know that fact, but immersing yourself in it, experiencing it, that's that's truly important. That's, that that to me is what our industry is about as far as travel and tourism. You know, when you go different places, that's where you learn about or meet new people, you experience cultures. And then that is once again, what's connecting communities and what eventually changes the world. To your point, Rachel, we are a historic city Hmm. and we attract millions of tourists every year. But I want them to know that black folks were part of the building. I mean, we, we built the infrastructure of Philadelphia, but we were the free labor for centuries. I remember when our forever first lady, Michelle Obama said that she was proud to live in a house that was built by Black people, chill bumps, by Black people. And that's a truth and a reality and a fact that you never hear. But when we consider Philadelphia and the fact that Black people were here, plentiful men and women who were enslaved, Mm -hmm. even though the Declaration of Independence and all of that went on in Society Hill, what we call Society Hill, which was once an all-Black neighborhood, the site of the oldest African-American church is in that community. But Black people didn't get the recognition, didn't get the compensation, didn't get the anything for the fact that they were the original builders of America's first capital city. We have to correct all of that mis- or lack of information. What's the first thing you cannot wait to do when you get out the house? First thing you can't wait to eat, go to get a drink. I kind of did it the other day. I walked to Reading Terminal and I went to Kevin Parker's and I got some collard greens, some mac and cheese (laughs) and yams. And I'm walking to Reading Terminal. Mind you, I, I live close to Reading Terminal and I go there before the pandemic, I used to go every weekend. It's a special place. Ready Terminal, you know what it is? Because it is a microcosm of Philly. Uh-huh. It's everything. It's Italian, it's Korean, it's Asian, it's yes. Indian. That's what I want for us as people. I'm very pro-Black. I love being a Black Puerto Rican woman. But at the end of the day, I want to see diversity. I want to be with my Asian friends and my white friends. I want us all to be together. But celebrate how special we are, too. To respect our commonalities and 
our differences to respect our differences. Yeah, that's, that's what I want for all people. As humans, and that's not what's happened. As humans, but at yeah. the end of the day, because there's such an inequity that has been built up for so long, we have a lot of work to do. That's what we're doing. Thank you, Love and Grit, for the work that you're doing to let the world know about the grandeur and the beauty of our city. We have problems like every place else, but darn it, we are a beautiful city. Oh, a beautiful are, complexity, right? Like it's a beautiful a complexity. A beautiful complexity. We have yes. more public art than any other city in the oh, world. Oh, yes. We yes. have the largest city park, Fairmount Park, bigger than mm -hmm. Central Park. Yes. We have Same. so many things to celebrate. Plus, we are, as I said, a music mecca and a black music mecca. Clark sisters, Marion Anderson, Jimmy Heath, the Heath brothers. The Black MTA, Lily. The Black Lily. Jaguar Wright, Kindred, The Roots, Boys to Men. Hey, Hall and Notes, Hall and Notes, because that was black music too. <laughs> black music too. Thank you, Naya. <laughs> Real talk. Thank y'all so much. Okay, so Vincent definitely looks like a star, but it's the voice that gives him burgeoning icon status, which is why he was a finalist on The Four, was asked to write and sing that beautiful theme song for season five of Queer Eye, and is definitely deep in your marrow. And he's from Philly. Hey, Vincent. Hi, guys. How Welcome are you? Welcome to Love and Grit. Hi. Thanks for having me. The new season of Queer Eye, and you get the song? And you're Isn't from crazy? Philadelphia? It's insane. It's so funny. When they reached out about having me be a part of the project, I didn't know that the season was going to be in Philadelphia. They had no idea that I was from Philadelphia. They had just reached out because they had heard my music and they were like, cool, we would love to use one of your songs. And I had just released an EP and they were like, we love these songs, but we would love something unreleased if, we, if you could. And I was like, if you give me a day, I could write a song. And wow. You wrote it in a day? Yeah. You're like, doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> but also I went to school, I went to Berkeley College of Music. So like, if I wasn't going to be able to do that in a day, then I am in a lot of debt for no reason. But I got the chance to write the song and I wrote it and they, they loved it. And then it kind of went from there. Oh my goodness. Is this changing your life? It's been incredible. My EP release and I got, I want to say on the first day, maybe 20,000 streams. And with Queer Eye, I think within the first two hours, it was like 50,000 streams. Wow. And because they're so involved in Netflix as well, has been so adamant about pushing me as an artist on their platform. It's just blown up and it's been the most incredible release that I think that I've had. Congratulations. Oh. Thank okay. you. So I just did a whole bunch of Vincent Kramer and now I, I need to know all your business and all about your life because <laughs> I need to know your Philly story. Like I need to know where you grew up, what school you went to. Like I just, can you just give it to me in short? Yeah, I'll give you like the Cliff Notes version. Well, yes, I'm from please. 33rd and Diamond, uh, North Philly. <laughs> North like, Philly. Philly. Oh, that's Philly, a good neighborhood. Philly. Um, yeah, a good, a good piece of Philly. I went to, I was in Catholic school from kindergarten until 12th grade. I went to St. Monte Porres, 23rd in Lehigh. Okay, and then I went to Roman Catholic at Broad and Vine. <laughs> I went to college in Boston right after high school. And then I moved to LA about five years ago. How are you yeah. feeling this week with everything that's going on? It's such a convergence mm. of so many feelings about racism and oppression. And it seems like it's a new day. And, and I mean, it's sort of interesting timing with Queer Out coming out, being in the city of brotherly and sisterly love in Philadelphia, you yeah. know, when we probably need love the most. And I yeah, just wonder sure. like how that's playing out in your head. Yeah, it's been, I've been at some protests. More than anything, 
what I experienced yesterday was probably the most powerful moment for me. There were friends who I did not expect to see out of all different races and ethnicities who were there in solidarity. We began the protest by laying on the asphalt of the intersection for eight minutes. And just seeing that come together and seeing that moment play out in front of my eyes, things that I've read in textbooks and seen movies about and have not had to be on the front lines and be a part of it, Mm. for me was mind-boggling that it's still happening. But what was even greater for me was knowing that there are people out here in the world who are adamantly working to change what's going on. It's not all depression and sadness. And I think that kind of gets lost in the mix because when things like this become a trending topic, then it is shared beyond belief. And it causes a great deal of trauma for African-Americans because people who are just now seeing this are like, we need to share this. We want you to know, we want you to see it. And it's like, no, we see it every day because we live it and we know what it looks like. And sometimes I think that overwhelms people to the point where they need to desensitize and they can't really, or don't really want to relate to it because it causes too much thought and it causes too much trauma in their lives. And so it was a joyful thing to celebrate George Floyd and Brianna and see who they were and understand their lives and talk about them with others and educate people on why we are out here as opposed to being seen as rioters or people who are just angry for no reason. And we all know that's not the case. It was transformative for me and it made me, it lit a fire that I knew was there but had not been taken care of. And for me, it really made me step up and do a lot more and start donating more and talking and using my platform in a way that I had not done before because out of fear that I may lose something, which is so selfish, but it's a real fear, especially when you're a Black, independent, LGBTQ artist and you have major brands behind you. And what what happens if I speak out about this and you don't like it? And then I had to sit with myself and I was like, if you don't like it, then I probably don't need to be associated with you. Mm. And what was really great for me is immediately as I put my post up about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, the brands followed. I got messages and calls from the producers and being like, no, we were behind you 110%. And you don't have to worry about that. And for me, that has been at the back of my mind. It's like, no, no, we're, everyone that I know, at least, is fighting for change and wants this to be a new wave of, of thought and equality and justice. I'm curious as to how you're keeping it light at times, because as we were getting prepared for this interview with you, I started feeling heavy on the thought of like, wow, like Vincent is connected to all of the heaviness and the celebration that we are experiencing this week from the heaviness of being a Black person, being a Black man, to the heaviness of what happened to Iyana. Dior in Minneapolis to the yeah. celebration of Black Music Month and the celebration of Pride Month. Like, yeah. woo, that's, and it's yeah. amazing in LA, the Pride March is becoming a Black Lives Matter protest. I mean, it, it would make sense since we were the reason they can do it. Talk about it, Vincent. Like, if TST, people of color and trans people of color in general, in specific, started it, you wouldn't have a Pride Parade without the riots that were started you wouldn't have this right to celebrate and get together had you had we and people who look like me and our trans brothers and sisters fought for that right for you to be so free so it makes sense and that's i think it should all all preparation should start that way that's how all your pride should start it should start before the celebration remember the fight so that celebration means more i saw a post that said this should be the best pride since stonewall which was 51 years ago because we have to reset We have to reset. It's the same thing we say, whether it's Juneteenth or Black Music Month, it's year round, it's every day. And you said it beautifully because, you know, folks are living this every day. Yeah. 
I don't stop being black and I don't stop being gay after the month is up, after February or June. That's just not how it works, you know? Mm -hmm. And that needs to be said all year round. So it's in the forefront of people's minds. Let me ask you, as an artist, I'm curious, as an artist, uh, a man from Philadelphia, like, what have you taken from Philly and brought with you to L.A. as a sense of, I don't know, like artist development. Like, this is something that I only got because I'm from this town. Yeah. Well, the, the greatest thing I've learned, because my dad was a singer. He was in a uh, gospel group. And that's how I learned how to sing and where I got all of my talent and ideas and things from. And so he would take me around to different venues in Philadelphia. And the thing I learned more than anything from Philadelphia ven- venue owners and Philly crowds is that just because you tell me no doesn't mean I can't do it, you know? Just because you tell me that I may not be able to do this doesn't mean it's no, no, no. You think I can't do it. That's a you problem. I know I can do it, so I will. And so that for me, like, I think Philly gave me a backbone. And if you're from Philadelphia, you know exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. They want to know what you got to offer and if it's good and if you believe that it's good. And that for me gave me such a confidence at a young age. And I kind of travel with that wherever I go now. So when you first heard of Loving Grid or when you think about the name, how do you think that relates to Philadelphia and what is represented as a region, as citizens? You know, Loving Grid, what does that mean to you? I think it's the perfect name, honestly. And it describes Philadelphia to the T because it's Philly is the place of brother and sisterly love. What I love about Philadelphia more than anything is we will fight for what we believe in. It's a kind of fellowship that you don't know anywhere else, or at least that I haven't experienced anywhere else, is that when we are fighting for a genuine cause and a cause that we all care about, we are together in it. We're together. Now, you may see us as something else, but I can promise you that we are all in this together. You may not think that we are all together because sometimes we divide each other, but Mm -hmm. what you see in front of you is a united front. And that's love and grit. You know what I mean? That's having the love for each other. And it's also having the grit and the knowledge of like, we're not going to take no for an answer. We're not going to back down. It's just not what we're about. That's awesome. I love that. My new friend. Tell us where we can follow you. (laughs) If you follow B-I-N-C-I-N-T, I'm the first one and the only one that pops up on anything. And are you single? Yeah, I am single. You know, it's, it's been a long quarantine. It's been a great time. <laughs> Loving it. No, I'm in a trash. I'm good by myself, actually. I'm, I'm happy just as we are. Yeah. It was so nice to meet you. Oh Thanks, my God. Thanks for having me. Well, the best part of my week has been getting together with you guys again. I love speaking to our guests. It was really uplifting and hearing their perspectives, but also hearing about their love for our region and just wanting unity, you know? This was a great conversation. And as folks are getting reintroduced to Black people, get reintroduced to Black Music Month. I thought that was the perfect intro into the month. And Vincent is amazing. Like, I think he's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've highlighted a lot of great Black talent on Love and Grit. So if you haven't heard back episodes, please listen. And tell your friends to subscribe and download and listen to Love and Grit. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. Listen to all the history that Philadelphians are making. Mm.